Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Donuts. I love it. We've been doing donuts for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. It's so fun. We look forward to that every year. So have fun with that. It is Christmas Eve. Can you believe it? I know. It's a big deal. Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve is, is a moment in our whole year, but it's a big moment. I mean, the, the presents are wrapped, the, the tree is trimmed, the food is prepped and ready to go. You know, we're ready to be staging the food and putting that out there, especially if you're Italian. We've got lots of food staged and ready to go. I just tell, can tell you that from personal, opinion, or personal experience. Uh, it's a big deal. And for some, it's going to be an, uh, an evening of magic as they lay and, and sleep and dream about sugar plums and what, what's to come in the morning. And for others... For others, it will be an evening of stress because there's some assembly required. <laughs> We've all been there. And, uh, and so, you know, whatever it is for you, uh, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Christmas Eve and Christmas is a big deal in our year. It's a moment, but it's a big moment. Why? And when we look back over over the years into the dawn of Christmas when it, when it first started, it was the dawn of a new age. Everything was about to change that silent night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Everything was about to change. The world had suffered under a broken relationship with God for thousands of years. Something went horribly wrong. And people and God were at odds and it wasn't working. And it wasn't that God didn't love people. God's crazy about people. He made us to love us and to be in a relationship with us. That wasn't the problem. The problem was is that people didn't love him back. That we were at the, the root of, of who we were. There was something, there was this propensity towards rebellion and wickedness. And we didn't love him back, and we didn't love one another very well either. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that entitled adult child who breaks your heart over and over and over again, who, who hurts everyone around them. And it's not that you don't love them, it's just that you want to wring their neck. It's, it's that if it keeps going, eventually the relationship is broken. And that is what happened between God and people. And it wasn't on God's side. And God's love didn't change. But the relationship was broken. And the world ached and longed for that to be fixed. God reached out to a people called the Israelites, and the, the idea was that he was going to teach them what it looked like to follow him, and, and then they could be an example for the world. But like an addict, they just kept going back to their sin and rebellion and, and brokenness, and they just kept going back. And he kept sending them, like a loving father would, messages, or messages and messengers, prophets, sometimes an angel, with messages like, this doesn't end well, guys. Like, you're going to hurt yourself, 
and your kids and your kids' kids and their kids, and this does not end well. You're breaking my heart. And sometimes, sometimes they would respond and they would change for a little while. And other times they wouldn't respond at all. But they always went back to their their wickedness, their sinfulness. For years, God sent prophets and messengers. And then all of a sudden, about 2,400 years ago, he stopped. Radio silence. We didn't hear anything from God. And he gave, a, he gave humanity the silent treatment. So that when Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago, it had been 400 years of silence from God. Now God's people were waiting in anticipation because their prophets of old spoke of one who would come and fix the mess that the world was in. One who would come who would actually not just be from God but would be God with skin on. That he would, they called him the Messiah, the rescuer, the redeemer. And they were waiting for him. And the prophets of old had spoken about him in great detail. They had predicted all kinds of, of details and things that he would, he would do and that he would be. They predicted that he would be born to a woman who was a virgin. Isaiah the prophet, 800 years before Jesus was born, said this. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now there's a sign for you. That doesn't happen every day. But it was predicted hundreds of years before he was born. They predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem, the prophet Micah. Again, hundreds and hundreds of years before he was born said, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days and they went on to predict that he would flee to Egypt that he would grow up in Nazareth that that he would be preceded by another prophet like John the Baptist that that they predicted his temptation they predicted the miracles they predicted his betrayal down to the price paid to Judas Iscariot to betray him 30 pieces of silver spoken of hundreds of years before he was born. They predicted his death down to excruciating details and they predicted his resurrection from the dead. Over 300 prophecies he fulfilled. That's mind-blowing and, and, and statisticians tell us that if he were to fulfill eight of those prophecies, most of them he had no control over. If he were to fulfill eight of those prophecies, that it was a, the odds were one in one quadrillion that one person could fulfill eight of those prophecies. That's, that's 10 with 16 zeros after it. Big number. Bigger than the national debt by far. All right. For someone to fulfill 48 of those prophecies, it's 10, it's one in 10 to the 157th power. It's 157 zeros. Statistically, so improbable, it's an impossibility. But he didn't fulfill eight, and he didn't fulfill 48. He fulfilled 300 prophecies. 
It's impossible. People say, prove to me that Jesus was who he said he was. Well, just based on the prophetic record alone, it was impossible for somebody to have fulfilled every detail that he, has, he fulfilled. It was a miracle. But more than, than the details, they had predicted that he would be God with us, Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he would be a rescuer, a savior, a redeemer. But it had been 400 years. Not a word. Was it really going to happen? And they had waited and waited and waited, and some had given up. Some, some played religion because it suited them, and they got ahead doing that. And some, some still believed and waited and anticipated his coming. And then one day, an angel shows up and talks to a guy named Zechariah and tells Zechariah, look, you have no kids and you're too old to have kids and your wife's too old to have kids, but you're going to have a son. And he will be the one that the prophets wrote about who will come before the Messiah. He was John the Baptist. And then the angel goes to Nazareth and finds a young girl named Mary and says, look, you're going to carry the one who was promised. God's talking again. Something has changed. It's been 400 years. Well, then the angel has to go and, and talk to Joseph, Mary's fiance, who had nothing to do with this impregnation and and you know was a little suspicious about the whole angel story so when an angel shows up and goes no it's real this is God and he goes forward the angel then shows up on on uh, the night that Jesus was born and talks to the shepherds and God is talking again oh it it was a new day guys a new day had dawned a new age had begun God was speaking again and it all hinged on this child, this rescuer who was foretold about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he showed up. And see, when we read the Christmas story in Luke 2, we usually just read it by itself. But it happened in a context. It happened in a bigger story. God is talking again. But he's doing so much Luke chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. All right, so uh, Israel is occupied by the Roman Empire at this point in history. They're not a free people. And... And the emperor decides, we're going to do a census. But rather than sending people around with clipboards and computers to, to come to your house and knock on the door and get your information, you have to pack up your family and go back to the town that your ancestors were from, like multiple generations back. And so that's what they do. This is what puts Joseph and Mary and the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. So Joseph also went up from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line 
of David. One of the prophecies about this coming rescuer is that he would be from the house in the line of David. And so he was. Check off another prophecy. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, but was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Of course there wasn't. Every relative going back generations, hundreds of years. uh, I mean, you know how big, anybody, well, I'm from an Italian family. You get two or three generations out and there's millions of us. I mean, it's like, and so they, they all descended, they all descended on this little town. It's just this little podunk village. There weren't rooms for hardly anybody. I think the reason they ended up in the stable is because she was nine months pregnant and about to give birth. Otherwise, they probably would have ended up camping out in the field with everybody else. The Caesar was awfully inconvenient. And so she does. She gives birth to this baby in the most humble circumstances, wraps him in cloths, and places him in a feeding trough for an animal because there was no place for them to stay. Well, it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is the one we've been waiting for. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go check this out. That's actually not what they said. They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It's pretty much, let's go check this thing out. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's fascinating, isn't it? That the shepherds, they're like, well, just on the off chance that this was a mass hallucination, let's go check it out. They gave us some pretty specific things to look for. They get there. And those specific things are fulfilled. It was just as the angels had told them. And so they begin to tell other people, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Now, the fact that the angel showed up to a shepherd is, uh, or to shepherds is, is kind of interesting as well. Because shepherds weren't considered terribly reliable people. They, they lived outside. They were usually... They, they don't look like the shepherds you see under your, your Christmas tree in nice white clean clothes. They're usually covered in, in animal manure and, uh, and looked down upon by every, pretty much everybody in their culture. And yet that's who the angel goes to to make the announcement. Yeah, everything changed that day. God had landed on planet Earth 
as one of us. Not to condemn us, but to save us. God had given us the greatest gift the world had ever known. The gift that would inspire all the gifts given at Christmas between that time and now. His son. His son. To save us. To save us from what? Ourselves. Because it wasn't just the ancients that had a propensity for wickedness and rebellion. It wasn't just the ancients who had a propensity to jack up their lives, to hurt other people, to turn their backs on God, to disobey God. We do too. We do too. And he came to rescue them and to rescue us. He came, as the Bible puts it, to redeem us. Now, the word redeem has some interesting connotations and some religious connotations. But in their day, the word redeem was meant to purchase someone else's freedom. If you were a slave and somebody bought you and set you free, they had redeemed you. They had purchased your freedom. It was an incredible gift. They also had what was called debtor's prisons. And if you got yourself into debt and you could not pay the person that you owed, they could have you thrown in debtor's prison. And it was a horrible place to be. And you would not get out until someone paid off your debt for you. Now, the interesting thing about that is you can't pay the debt off yourself because you're in prison. Someone else has to pay the debt for you, usually a family member or a loved one of some sort. And if they paid off your debt and you got out of prison, you had been redeemed. They paid for your freedom. And that's what the Bible says that Jesus was. He was a redeemer. Because sin is the same way. Sin is the same way. If, you've, if you grew up in a church tradition, some of us have, some of us haven't. But maybe at some point along the lines, you've heard the Lord's Prayer. It goes something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our... Oh, a lot of Catholics in the audience. All right. Yeah. So there's, there's two ways that goes, right? It, it, some traditions go trespasses, which is an old English word for sins. We could say, forgive us our sins just as easily as we forgive those who sinned against us. And so some traditions say trespasses, but other traditions will say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's just as accurate. Because what our sin and rebellion has racked up in our lives is a debt to God. The Apostle Paul in Romans 6 puts it this way. He says, for the wages of sin, the penalty for sin, the debt for sin is death. That's what we deserve. The payment is death. And he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, J- Jesus came to pay that debt for us. Christmas isn't really about Christmas, it's about Easter. Jesus came 
and willingly laid down his life, willingly died on a Roman cross because the wages of sin is death, because the payment for our debt was death. And he paid it in our place. So we didn't have to. He paid for our freedom. He paid to spring us out of jail. He paid to free us from slavery. And we are enslaved to sin. And we are ultimately, we will spend eternity in prison for all that we have done. And then God goes and does this. It's amazing. And and you don't deserve it. And neither do I. In Romans 5, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says this, writing to the church in Rome. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, nothing we could do, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the debt that every one of us owes. Because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Every one of us has turned our backs on him at one point or another. Every one of us has jacked up our own lives or jacked up somebody else's life. Every one of us. And we have a debt that we can't pay. Someone else has to pay it for us. We won't survive it. And that's why Jesus came and was born. To redeem us. To pay for your freedom and my freedom. And I love what, he, what it says there in verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't just die for people who have their act together, who look all put together. He died for the ungodly. He died for shepherds. Nobody really trusted or liked shepherds very much. He died, he, he died for, for Mary and, and, and Joseph. He came through this couple and this apparent scandal and then and poverty and, and, and all of that. He didn't just come for people who were put together. He came for the addicted and the broken and the poor and those who have made big mistakes. And yes, he came for everybody. He did, but so often we think he just came for people who have it more together than I do. And he came for you. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He came to rescue, and for 2,000 years, he's been saving and redeeming people. For 2,000 years, he's been healing the divide between us and God. He's been filling people's hearts with his presence. His spirit comes and lives inside of us, and he's been bringing the greatest gift of all. In Jesus' words, he said it this way, I came to bring life and life in all of its fullness. That's what Christmas is all about. Because life is different when you have a friendship with God. Life is different when all has been forgiven and the debt has been paid. Life is different when God lives inside your heart. It's life the way it was meant to be lived. It's life in all of its fullness. And the magic of Christmas isn't the gifts that you're going to receive in the next day or two. It's this gift. It's this gift. A brand new start with God. Forgiveness, friendship with your heavenly Father, and freedom. And freedom. So for you this Christmas Eve, let me ask you this question. Have you opened this gift? 
have you received this gift? You have to open the gift. I have a, I have a friend who for years would get gifts from relatives and friends, and, and uh, he would just sit them in the living room and never open them. Like you'd go in July and there's still Christmas gifts sitting in the living room. I think he had issues, I'm not sure. Um, but it was, it was like you, he never received the gifts. You have to receive this gift. Have you opened it? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, how do you, how do you open a gift? It's not wrapped in Christmas paper and sitting under the tree. How do, you op- how do you open, how do you receive this gift? Jesus spoke to this in John 3.16. This is what he said. He said, for God so loved the world. That was his motivation. He still loved us. He hadn't given up on us. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, let me give you a little bit of a little cultural context for this. The word believe in the first century Middle Eastern culture is a little bit different than the word believe as we think about it today. When I think about believe, I think about, okay, well, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he came and that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I, I believe that. For them, if you believe something like that, you placed your faith in it. You, you lived out of it. it. It affected everything about it. It was more integrated. For us, we separate our actions from our, our thoughts or whatever else. But for them, it was all integrated. It just changed the way that you lived. And Jesus was like, if you believe, if you place your faith in, live out of your relationship with me. And an aspect of that was just inviting him in. In Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus says these words. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And one of the things that Jesus said before he left is that I'm going to send the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he'll live inside your heart. And if you, if you will, picture this, uh, not Jesus' spirit standing at the door of your heart and knocking. And he said, if you open the door and invite me in, I'll come in and I'll, I'll eat with you and you with me. Now, again, another first century Middle Eastern cultural thing that you probably wouldn't know otherwise, but sharing a meal together was a symbol of deep friendship, not just a, a superficial friendship. See, the God of the universe wants a deep friendship with you. In fact, that's why he made you. And in fact, it's the thing that you've been looking for all along. And 2,000 years ago, the world had been waiting and longing in this separation from God. And everything changed. But my question for you this evening is, has it changed for you? Have you opened the gift? Have you received this outrageous gift of love that God offers I want you to have an opportunity to do that this evening before we leave. If you want to open this gift, it starts with a prayer. It's a daily decision to live in faith. It's a daily decision to live out of that faith. 
But it opens, it starts with a prayer saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my mess. Redeem my life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. In fact, I want to give all of us an opportunity to do that. Even if you have prayed a prayer like that before, I want to invite you to pray it again. It's Christmas Eve. Just in kind of commemoration of God has given us this gift. Let's open this gift this Christmas Eve together. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that and you would like to, you can pray along. You can pray in the silence of your mind or you can pray out loud if you'd like to. But let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And you can just repeat after me something along these lines. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. I believe that you have. And I choose this evening to place my faith in you. Please forgive my sins. Come and live in my heart. And help me to follow you. Each and every day from this day forward. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for coming to save me. And thank you for your amazing, wonderful, and reckless love. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.